And here we are. Welcome to Life, Music, and the Pursuit of Answers. I'm Phil Circle here at the, at the Hilton. I'm not staying in the Hilton. I, 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 I'm, more, I'm more frugal than that. Uh, but at the Hilton in downtown Austin, Texas, ATX, for you trendy folk. And this is a conversation I've been looking forward to for a long time. Uh, it's not that I haven't had a whole ton of really great conversations with this gentleman, um, but it's that I finally get to share one of them with, with uh, anybody who's listening. Um, Bob Baker is a, a guy I was aware of uh, before I ever met him, and uh, I've always just referred to him as the music marketing guru for the independent artists, but he, he's also much more than that. He's a creative coach, um, he, a mindset coach, I would say, nowadays. We could use that terminology as well. Uh, and uh, teaches improv in St. Louis. He's like the go-to guy in St. Louis. Uh, of course, being from Chicago, we love improv and are, are always happy to hear people doing more of it. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a good start. I think uh, people get the, the hang of it from here. Bob, what's happening? Hey, Phil, it's great to, to, to do this. Yeah, we were uh, kind of reminding each other. This is the fourth time that we've met uh, in person four different occasions over the past 12 years. That's right. We first met in 2007, I'm fairly certain. Yep, that uh, sounds right. When I was in, in town to do uh, a workshop, then I had forgotten that you you had actually were, were instrumental in finding the location for the workshop, which was the Actors Studio. The Chicago Actors Studio, yeah. And that, that was that's one of those funny things, too. So it was uh, Helena Boucher. Hello, Helena. Hello, Helena. And she, uh, she was a bass student and voice... Or no, she wasn't a bass student. She played bass. She was a voice student of mine. She called me the, the slayer of the homogenized choral voice <laughs> which which I, I i love i want that t-shirt i gotta make that t-shirt yeah. and just put my name on it or something and i can't even remember how i maybe she was on my email list or something i said i was coming to chicago maybe i made an announcement in my email list looking for uh yeah a venue in chicago and somehow yeah she she was very eager to to help and i guess she asked you and you so that anyway that's but we met on that on that trip in 2007 yeah. and i couldn't actually be at the event so people know, because that's funny too. I couldn't be at the event because I was doing a podcast. Uh, the first one I ever did on Chicago Acoustic Underground, which I've been on a half a dozen times now since then. Oh, wow. Here and, we are doing a podcast all these years later. Yes, and, and yeah. that's the other thing. Yeah, see, too, I was thinking about this as I was, I was uh, kind of looking for you here. Because uh, we're both here at the, the CD Baby DIY Musician Conference is what's brought us both here. In Austin, Texas. In Austin, Texas, where it's yes. really hot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so I was thinking about it too. I, I, I um, you know, looking forward to doing a podcast with you, being one of the people who introduced me to the notion of a podcast. Because you had a podcast so cool. back when people were like, you know, if you say I have a podcast, they go, "What? What is that?" I, I, my first, I launched my first podcast in two thousand five, uh-huh. uh, and yeah, because we met two years after that. But it's funny. Um, it's nice to have been. And maybe, and maybe I can give your for those for those folks who aren't uh, uh, familiar with who I am. Maybe give a little background at some at some point here. But I've been doing yes. this a long time. You know, 25 years since my first book was published, and been right. Been got on the internet with email in like the mid 90s, and just kind of followed every every wave and every um, new opportunity that came or tool that came along. And so yeah, I've been, I started blogging in 2004. 
podcasting in 2005, got on YouTube in 2006. But there's a guy named Jason Van Orden who uh, I had met in the early 2000s at a music conference because he and his wife were uh, um, pursuing a music career. And it was in an email that I sent out in 2005 that he said that he heard the word podcast for the first time. Nice. Also, probably when I started mine. And he was just really curious about it. And he said, what is this podcast thing? And he kind of got obsessed with it, started a podcast, ended up writing a book on podcasting. Wow. And he and his partner had this thing called Internet Business Mastery, which was a podcast that also became a membership site uh, for people to help people build an online business. It was like one of the number one, maybe still is, but one of the number one like internet business market you know, or business building uh, podcast on on iTunes. But it's nice to see the, uh, the influence that I had on him. And there's a guy named Pat Flynn that ended up being one of their members uh, you know, several years ago, and he was trying to create his own online business. And Pat's gone on to be like a huge uh, internet, you know, smart passive income is his. So this, to see the yeah, the uh, the one. ripple effect, you know, it, so. that's it's one of the coolest things about uh, I think a lot of what both of us do. There's so much, so many multimedia. We're multimedia people. We're, we're what people call Renaissance man. I'm always hesitant to use these things right. because they. The, the connotation is I'm something special because mm -hmm. I do so many things. But uh, I know in my case, um, I'm simply doing all the things that I enjoy doing, and yeah. I'm really fortunate to be able to do that and make my living. Right. And it's it, I never get le any less fascinated with it. Uh, I'm doing this podcast because I was at the, the Book Baby uh, author conference last November, and two or three different people who were part of the conference were like, why aren't you doing a podcast? And I said, I don't know how. So I went and looked up resources online oh, cool. and things and said, well, you know, and, and it was exactly what I was talking about at the very beginning of this. The fascinating conversations you get to have and what they lead to. Yeah, yeah. Is, is what made me want to do this. And did, and did you, you know? tell me earlier, too, that you were having conversations at conferences like this and thinking, man, I wish I had recorded that. Yep. It would be great to share yeah. beyond the two of us. Yeah, whatever. exactly. Yeah. It doesn't seem yeah. fair to keep it to yourself. Yeah. Because then you end up repeating it to people, and that's cool. And that's that whole ripple effect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I run into that in music uh, often. I ran into a guy I haven't seen in 15 years last week. He just got back from a 40-month tour. I had to do the math to figure out that that was three and a quarter years on the road. 40, oh, 40 months. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah, yeah. I'm like, Mike, that's my car my car note. You know, it's like 40 <laughs> months long or something, you know? And he, uh, and, and, he, and, he and he's this amazing saxophone player. And he, and he goes, Phil, I, I just, I, I really wanted to thank you for, like, getting me out there when I was first starting out. I'm like, what? Because he played with me. I didn't know that I was having the, the, this effect. Yeah. And I mentioned it to, to my wife, Megan, and she said, no, you, you hear that all the time, you know? As, well, all I'm doing is what I naturally come by, and that is I want to help people, I want to share with people, I want to be part of things, I want to, you know, uh, uh, you know when I'm not sitting there going, ha ha, the influence I could have on the world, uh, you yeah. know? And, I'm, and I, I, I get the feeling, you know, having come to know you, yes, this is only our fourth face-to-face -face meeting, mm -hmm. but there's been a lot of online you know, correspondence over oh, the yeah. years and, totally. and and that kind of thing. So having come to understand, you know, get an understanding of the kind of guy you were, I'm sure you weren't like, 
I'm going to be one of the first people to write about how to be a guerrilla music marketer, haha, and conquer the world. You just want to do the things you love to do and you feel compelled to to create with, you know. Exactly, yeah. I've often said that, uh, yeah, I, um, like you, you kind of mentioned earlier, I've, uh, I didn't really grow up like in an entrepreneurial family. I didn't have any entrepreneurial role models necessarily in my life. Um, uh, I was raised by a single mom, you know, she worked at a, at a, Boy, a Boy Scout office in St. Louis, you know, a non-profit and was kind of a, kind of a shy uh, uh, woman. And so, I, and, and so I didn't, I don't know where this thing came from, but I was always like drawn to the arts for one thing since I was a kid and as stubbornly determined to, uh, like a lot of people, I knew that I wouldn't be happy working for someone else. You know, I, I've had day jobs. You know, I've had I've had part-time jobs. I've had you know did what I needed to do to support myself. But I always knew that I was I was stubbornly determined to make a living on my own, and ideally doing set stuff that I was interested in, and, and it was always art re- related. Um, and so when I saw something like that, like that looked like it'd be fun, like I want to, you go to a comedy club or something, you see, man, that would be so cool to be up on stage. And where a lot of people would be frightened about like, oh, I don't know how to do that. And they feel like they have to get, off to get all their ducks in the row or get training or something. I'm like, how can I do that sooner rather than later? I can at least experience a little piece of it. And so, oh, there's an open mic night, you know, like, um, so I'll go and do that. Uh, but that happened time and time again. I'd watch a band uh, you know, when I was in uh, whatever my teens, or and, and and go, that'd be so cool to play. You know, and so I was already learning the guitar, like in middle school or early high 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 school. But I don't know what drove me. It was an innate thing to to experience that. And if you know, I enjoyed it, I would keep doing it. You know. Yeah, and it's the experimental aspect of it, isn't it? If I enjoyed it, I like that you added that. If I enjoyed it, I I would keep doing it yeah. because I ran into uh, uh, I, I have to be careful I'm always, I ran into this kid mm-hmm. who could be in his 20s he's a man you know but I'm like I ran into this kid uh, here in, you know, uh, at this conference in, in line at the you know, getting coffee right and we're just mm-hmm. talking and he's, I'm trying to figure out you know, what aspect of this I want to do maybe I want to do songwriting I'm not sure I said well the only way to find out is to do it what's the worst thing that's going to happen you'll go and do some songwriting write a few songs and go well this isn't the path I want to follow so I actually I decided I want to be a I want to produce albums or I want to be a a sound engineer but now you understand how a songwriter works Mm -hmm. you know I've done some acting I don't want to become an actor but I have done some acting um I have run sound. I'm not. I don't, I'm not an audio engineer, but I can now at least understand what an actor goes through, uh, uh, and, and relate aspects of acting to be to music. As a music coach, I in fact use some uh, acting tricks. You know, mm-hmm. some acting coaching things. Yeah. Uh, I can talk to an audio engineer uh, without sounding like a complete idiot. You know, mm-hmm. and and that sort of thing. But then also, uh, you didn't say anything about. Um, how scary any of these things were you just said that would be really cool and that's yeah. your motivation and mm-hmm. of course we're nervous when we go try sure oh sure entrepreneur the definition of it I think it, if you google it is something along the lines of uh, somebody who partakes in an endeavor with no guarantee of return yeah yeah or, or there's also another funny uh, uh, definition of an entrepreneur it's somebody who's willing to work like 60 hours a week for themselves so they don't have to work 40 hours a week right. for somebody else. It sounds <laughs> about something right. Something like that. Uh, yeah, no, I think, kind of what were you just saying uh, about, yeah, like, like 
um, seeking something out for the for the fun of it. Yeah, and there's definitely fear, and yeah, I've dealt with that a lot over the. Yeah, you, like you mentioned the mindset piece of it, and so maybe we should let people know that. Yeah, as as an author, uh, I'm probably best known for my books and the teachings that I do on on music marketing specifically. That's kind of like an early niche. Um, I first self-published book came out probably in 1996. I had another book a couple years earlier that got me on the map and kind of opened my eyes to, oh, I think I'm going to be, I think this author thing is going to be a big part of who I am for the the rest of my life. And another thing way ahead of the game, now more than half of the books on Amazon are self-published now. That's, yeah, in yeah, 1996, yeah. self-published, what's that and how do you do that? Yeah, and then there was not print-on-demand right. in, in, in the That 90s. changed the world. Yeah, and yeah. the internet was still in its early stages. So, Well, here's another thing, too. Yeah, I think you mentioned earlier, I didn't realize, I didn't think of myself as a pioneer or on the cutting edge or whatever. Well, I was just doing stuff that just seemed, seemed uh, sensible for me, and there were already some other people active online but looking back on it in hindsight and what other especially the other people's perceptions and or, you know I was kind of a trailblazer in using the internet to spread my message and 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 independent publishing was in its, in, its infancy um, uh, but I so so yeah my sec my first book was put out by a small publisher so they took care of the printing it was a regular paperback with the offset printing which is the old school right. way of printing um, and that got me on the map and in the, in the bookstores and into this thing called Mix. I was a Mix. Uh, Mix Magazine had this book catalog. You know, I remember going to the NAM show and was, did a signing at their booth. And in the so, Mix or Mix? It was just called Mix Magazine. I don't think it's a, It may not be around any. There wasn't in the Mix as well, and that's not around either. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah. But it was. It was uh, but that kind of lit me. But that second book I wanted to put out on my own. And so. I didn't have I didn't have the money for that the offset print run, which is that you have to do like thousands of books just to just to make it worth doing, um, because they use plates and fed sheet like the old newspaper presses oh, yeah. with the rollers and all that stuff. Ben Ben Franklin style. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gutenberg print. Right. Uh, but so I, you know, so you know what I did? What I could have control over? I actually I had this collection of articles that I had written in a in a newspaper that I was publishing to get covered by local music scene. And as I interviewed musicians who came through town and local successful artists, I was always picking their brain for, um, how did you do this? How did you get that many people at a show? How did you sell that many CDs? You know? And then these things, were, were, I would put them in monthly columns in my own newspaper. So I was a, sort of like a journalist. I had developed my own paper platform, if you will, yeah, totally. in, in St. Louis. And uh, took a collection of like the five, 15 best articles, beefed them up, and I three-hole punched them and put them in a three-ring binder. Nice. That was the early edition of something I called the Guerrilla Music Marketing Handbook. Right. I was inspired by the books that Jay Levinson... Uh, Guerrilla uh, Marketing. Guerrilla Marketing, yeah that, yeah. that first book came out like in 84. And I actually communicated with Jay through AOL of all things AOL. in the 90s. Nice. And got his, he's, he's deceased now, but uh, he was like, like the godfather of Guerrilla Marketing. And uh, I got his blessings to put the word, stick the word music in there, and, and you know, and uh, that became. And, and, and how did you do that? You just asked him. I did, yeah, by email. Yeah, yeah. just emailed him. Can I do yeah. this? And why? And, and why? Why? And there are people who won't do that kind of thing, and and the question is why not? And they're like, well, what if he says no? Yeah, yeah. So what if he says no? He says no. You change your exactly. Time, the, right? the worst that could happen. Yeah, yeah I'd still be where I am. Now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I still would have done this work. Yeah. Uh, 
So, uh, so yes, I, so that, but so that it was very primitive and uh, had an ugly cover that it was inserted into the front of the three-ring binder. <laughs> but I would sell up one or two a month or something. Mm -hmm. And then as digital printing came around, I would, I would not only update the content but uh, would improve the packaging and got, got into the early digital paperback forms. Um, and just did that year after year, and it started gaining traction. And it like put me on the map because it was like the only book out at the time. Of uh, that was about music marketing for the DIY independent artists, and this was in the '90s in the heyday. And that's when I was. That's yeah. when I was. I, I mean, I start. I've been doing this like since the late '80s, but early '90s is when I started really, really mm -hmm. jumping into this kind of stuff. And there wasn't any. There was in Chicago. There wasn't any way to go for any of this kind of stuff. I was totally learning by trial and error. Uh -huh. And uh, uh, it, I, you know, heard about your book much later than that, and would have loved to have, you know, had access to it. Right. And we had the same thing in Chicago. There was a, a, a self-published zine by a couple of other songwriters I knew that I used to write for it oh, cool. and stuff. And so I, I think about that kind of thing too. Because you said that in passing, like it's no big deal. And I had this, you know, I published this local. I did it for ten years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and and so so many of these things grew out of you seeing a need. Yeah, yeah. For something. Yeah. So part of in the late, it was the late eighties. I was in my twenties, mid mid twenties, and um, again stubbornly determined to do something to 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 make money. And yeah. So so there was a combination. Actually, I thought my original concept was there was going to be this little, uh, this thing that I would distribute at music stores and, and musicians would run ads to find other musicians or, or something. And then I remember somebody said, oh, why don't you put a little news in there too? You know, make it sound like another reason. Like, oh, that's not a bad idea. And plus the need, yeah, the reason that, uh, that uh, my eyes opened to that, because like a lot of music or a lot of cities, um, the local press mainly covers the big name touring acts. It makes sense. Yeah, for sure. them, and they kind of throw a bone to the local artists, you know, at least the, the major, the dailies and the major weeklies. Maybe that's different now because there's more alternative newspapers. But I, I kind of took that, I decided to take that and flip it on its head and make the focus of this thing, uh, r r making local people aware of what was in our own backyard in St. Louis in many variety of genres, and then maybe throw a bone to the a, a National Touring Act. I just take that model. And so I saw it as a way to do good instead of all just complaining about oh nobody's covering stuff I'll create a vehicle that will do that that will cover local muse, muse, musicians and so I was just and again those were like I had no previous experience in journal I never took a journalism class I never wrote for the school newspaper I had to learn about layout and design and distribution and, and you know and just as I went and the first ones were ugly yeah. <laughs> a lot of typos but I just kept it's like it was like it's like the software uh, way of releasing stuff. Like you get version, you get the beta version out, right. and then you put out 1.0. You get the glitches out. Yeah, and you get feedback from, from people, and then you work out the bugs. Uh, and a lot of people that makes a lot of people nervous, as they just want they want it to be perfect right out of the gate, you know. And you get perfection paralysis. Exactly. Yeah, and often things never come out because people just wait. That, that time is never right. It's never good enough. So maybe, yeah, maybe I have erred on the side of coming out too early, but it seems to have served me well, <laughs> yeah. you know. Well, now where I come from in Chicago, uh, something that comes up a lot in just discussing the city and its history mm -hmm. is that they love the process. 
so you're allowed to go in there and screw it up relentlessly. We have, just in my neighborhood, which is about 50,000 people, there's five storefront theaters, oh. and people will go spend $20 a ticket and be one of five or six people in the room mm. watching a, you know, a new play they never heard of. We, we love that sort of thing, uh, and original music is very, very popular in the city proper and that sort of stuff. Original music is original music these days. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, to this day in the suburbs they like cover bands, um, but where people maybe are less comfortable with the process, I would think that they are going to be less com comfortable with watching somebody potentially get it wrong or make mistakes. Mm -hmm. But what you just gave the example you just gave of software is the perfect uh, just allegory and. Uh, and Analogy, metaphor, I don't know which yeah. word to use. <laughs> analogy, bro. and tell me. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 for how we need, how you can go about things in general without so much fear. Mm -hmm. There's nobody I've ever talked to who's been extremely successful who knew exactly what they were doing out of the starting game. Yeah. It's just impossible. You can't possibly anticipate how things are going to go. Mm -hmm. And you have to assume that, well, I'm going to go, uh, you know, do this thing, and let's see how it goes, and I'm going to learn as I go, and I'm going to use my passion for it, my purpose, uh, the purpose I put behind it, and my, ad uh, my uh, hopefully I'm very adaptable and learn quickly and that right. kind of thing, and, and a tremendous amount, I think, of curiosity. I hear in, in your story of these things, there's a whole lot of curiosity. I didn't know how to do layout, so I'm going to go figure that out. Somebody without curiosity to be like, I don't know how to do that, so I'm screwed. But somebody who's like, well, I, I love learning, so this is going to be fun. Yeah. You know? and even if it feels overwhelming, the what's the end result of any struggle you go through in life? When you come through the struggle on the other side of it, you experience joy. Joy is often attached to suffering mm -hmm. as it comes in the wake of the suffering. So there's you know, a much lesser version of that when well, I figured out the layout, even though I was overwhelmed and freaked out that I might not be able to do it. I figured it out. How cool is that? Mm -hmm. I have one more skill. Yeah, yeah. well, you mentioned uh, improv. That's something. So, yeah, I do a lot of things in the arts. Obviously, I've been a musician since uh, early high school. I've been interested in writing since a kid, and I combined those two things for the first time when I did the newspaper. I've also done some visual art over the years. I've done theater. I used to do stand-up, and I and I had this long, long-standing uh, fascination with improv comedy, a la Whose Line Is It Anyway in Second City in Chicago, and all that that kind of ensemble where you're co-creating a game or a scene, you know, on the spot with some with at least one other person. And uh, one of the principles in there, like, because I've been teaching it, started several years ago, started teaching it in St. Louis, and I. I've really built a lot of mo momentum. I have weekly classes with 20 people show up at these drop-in classes and do monthly shows. But one of the things I tell my students is to be good at improv is to be uh, comfortable with uncertainty. Oh boy! You know, so yeah. obviously I'm applying it to the, to learning the skill of improv. But there's so many improv principles that apply to life and business, and I realize that's a philosophy. I guess that uh, has served me well too. I don't know exactly how I'm going to publish this newspaper or get this book out, but I'm going to figure it out and just take the, take the first baby steps any, anyway, you know. Uh, you're also a songwriter. Yes. And yeah. you've recorded. Many, yeah. I, right. Have you yeah. listened back to 
any of your earlier recordings and been like, geez, I don't know if I should have released that. When I uh, did. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> well, or I could, or, or hearing things you could fix, we could go that way. Sure, sure. I mean, you're always there uh, a little bit, but not with any disdain or discomfort. Yeah, I, I listen. Um, because actually, it was uh, we earlier in a conversation we talked about Carrie Cole, who uh, who was a like vocal coach and and, and entrepreneur from uh, New York, and has been a friend. And I met her for the first time a year ago, and this conference was in Nashville. And she, uh, I just remember a conversation I had with her where she says, "Do you ever make your you know your music marketing list and your people that follow you for your music marketing books aware of what you've done as a musician?" And, uh, and, uh, and I go, well, I guess maybe I really kind of downplay it because I figure they're wanting more of the, the, in, the, in, the, in, the information. And, and that conversation led me to, to think about my out. So, because music, even though uh, it's a part time thing, I never did let go of it just because I gave up, you know, or didn't, uh, didn't have the rock star dreams. I did when I was in my teens and 20s. I played and I saw myself, I'm going to be a touring musician and be in a rock band and be on the radio and play, you know. And then once the realities of that, I realized, oh, well, there's a lot of work involved in that, yeah. <laughs> a lot of commitment. <laughs> and then I started being drawn to the, publishing the paper and the books and all that, felt myself that was more of my calling. And I decided that music would be a part-time thing. But that didn't mean I gave up playing. I, I pick up the guitar every week to this day and play monthly at our church or I'll do, you know. But I've, I've released, recorded and released probably seven, at least seven albums worth of original material over the years with different bands, with my girlfriend Pookie, who you, who you know, she, she and I have just put out three albums, of just the two of, of us. Um, that's a pretty big body of work for somebody who says he's using... He's having, doing it part-time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and we still have a fan base in St. Louis. There's probably hundreds, maybe thousands of people that we've played in front of and who listen to our music and say, it's, it's, we, we tend to write like positive, uplifting music and I can't as many countless friends have said man I was going through a tough time and I played your song got your song on repeat to get through it and um, that's one of the coolest moments when you realize the power of the arts in general but especially music Mm -hmm. is when you hear those kind of stories Mm -hmm. yesterday DMC uh, Daryl McDaniel right from from Run Run DMC Run DMC spoke here and he said a very strong comment. Um, music, the long, I'm paraphrasing, music succeeds or takes over where religion and politics fail people. Mm, mm-hmm. And yeah, he, yeah. he was telling his story, and I'm not going to tell much of it because I think people should go read his book. I've got a copy. He's got a copy of mine. Nice. Let's see who reads theirs first. Yeah, yeah. But... <laughs> Um, but uh, he was talking about music that got him through hardship and running into a chauffeur, a chauffeur that said, uh, talked about how uh, Daryl's music got him through hardship you know, yeah. and stuff. And so everybody's got that story. And that's, I think it's, it's sometimes in, in those little stories, those little moments, too, that we're, we're, we're reminded why we did this. Yeah, yeah. You know, why we did any of it. So when you... Uh, go. You went up to Simon Tam of the Slants yesterday, and and introduced yourself. And before you were done, he said, "Oh, I know you. I'm a big fan." Yeah, that was so and, cool. You know, yeah. And so again, back to the the ripple effect, the effect, the effects that we have on people, uh, 
in our work, especially when we're passionate about it, and it's it, it, both both you and I, I think, share this thing. You've been at it longer than I've taken so many leads from you, and I'm so grateful for all the work that you do. And I always try to tell people that too. When there's somebody who's done something uh, that that you know has brought things to, to light for me, or or brought me, you know where I've, I've found information from them or something, whenever I have the opportunity, and if you're listening, remember this. I try to thank people for their output, for the things they do. I even do that with people who book music. Sure. I, you know, not only thank you for the gig, but thanks for booking these. You know, because I know how much work they're doing. Because I used to book. Mm-hmm. I thank sound engineers. There's a reason, folks, why sound engineers are often very cranky. They deal with musicians all the time. <laughs> don't appreciate them. Right. Who don't or, appreciate them. Or, who think they're the center of attention. To me, the sound engineer is a member of the band. Mm-hmm. They and and you don't want to piss them off. They have they can hit the suck button, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah there's a suck button. On the yeah. Line. yeah. <laughs> uh, but the the, the this, these and, and we this stuff. How then do we? You know, is, is there a line between that passion in your work or that ripple effect in your work uh, and that passion in your life and that ripple effect in your life, or is it all just? A result of the person that you are internally, that I, everybody that I come into contact with, is important because they're another human being, and yeah. if I have anything positive to say, if I have anything I can offer, that isn't going to, of course, harm me because I know boundaries are important. You know, I'm going to do that. You know, or are they, or are they compartmentalized? Or, you know, what, what is it with you? Yeah. So this might tie into something. So I know one of the times that we met over the years when when you were great, you and your wife. Megan were gracious enough to host something that I was calling the Empowered Artist Salon. I called it the Salon instead of a workshop because I was doing this in people's homes. Right. And you hosted one of them. And a big part of that uh, workshop or, or conversation was I talked about the four reasons that people create. And so the first reason, that like if somebody, uh, and it's generally referred to the arts, but it's any kind of, I guess, ambition that people have. But the first reason is for self-satisfaction. Um, and so it's like, I, oh, I would it'd be so cool to play the guitar or to write a song or to write a poem. And then you take action and you do that thing. And it's a feeling of pride. Well, I created that. Wow. And so you were, you were, you know, something inside of you motivated you to pursue something and you did it and it feels good internally, you know. So it's kind of based on pride or just accomplishment. Um, and then the second uh, reason that people create is for recognition. And this is where someone goes, oh man, that was an awesome show that you did, or they compliment your article or your painting. And so it's like recognition from outside of yourself, uh, validation, you know. And this feels good too, to get compliments or to get recognized for your, for your work. So those first two reasons that are kind of like, are more, not, uh, that's selfish, but they're uh, self-satisfaction. Yeah. The first one is from an internal source, and the second one is from an external source, seeing you and recognizing you, validating you. Uh, and then I talked about where the shift comes is when, and it's just kind of like where I see the dividing line between somebody who's just doing something on a hobby basis versus, um, especially if you want to turn pro, uh, I think this is a key thing, or if you just want to pursue your art in a more me- in a in a bigger way is when you start realizing how you start doing it for the benefit of others and you start realizing how what you do who you are and what you do and what you create the actions that you take in the world how they benefit other people 
And so and suddenly it's a different come from, you know, where you're realizing, oh, this song touches people, or my art can, you know, uh, I don't know, really somebody who's fascinated by it, that this thing makes people feel a certain way, hopefully better, yes. <laughs> you know? And that to me is like a turning point uh, where then you're equally motivated or even sometimes more so motivated for what this thing is going to do. Like you you're become a sort of an evangelist to spread this good feeling to more people. And that's where, and that makes marketing a lot easier because you're not, because a lot of people say, oh, I don't like to market because I don't be all, I want to be boastful. I don't want to think it's not all about me. Well, good, because that's not effective marketing. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's effective really marketing good is about what it does for other people and, and like and having that be the way you, you uh, present yourself. That is huge right there. Say that again. Yeah. So, so yeah, when you're doing, when you're motivated more by the benefit of others, and you focus on what's in it for the other person, marketing becomes a lot easier because it's it's not about being boastful and talking about yourself. Yeah, it's, it's, it's monstrous. And <laughs> it, um, you know, I, I, I when I'm dealing with students, uh, stage fright, of course, always comes up, mm -hmm. and I point out first of all, a little bit of nerves are good. I don't tell people calm down when they're nervous. Yeah, yeah. Unless if they're having like an anxiety attack, that's different. You yeah. do some deep breathing exercises. But right. you know, if they're just nervous, I don't tell them calm down. They need that energy. Yeah, you yeah. know, you can you can play off of that. Um, but as far as stage fright overall, my general response is uh, good, that means it matters. And and don't yeah. forget it's not about you, it's about your audience. Yeah, yeah. You are doing something for them. You know, they are there asking for something. You have to go up there and give it, and that will get you out of your head enough. And you can use a little nerve, nervous energy at the same time, so they kind of compile to create a snowball of beautiful yeah, interaction. Yeah. It's the most amazing thing when you know you, the, the, the audience and, and the performer become like so intimate. Yeah, yeah. Know? We don't like that word, but that's what it is. They become so intimate, they're total strangers, you know. But stage fright is definitely something you can you can't really intellectualize, or you, you can. I mean, we, I know we talked about af, or we haven't even talked about the affirmations and all that all this stuff. But you can't affirm away. You know, I am confident. It, you really no. have to just do it. You have yeah. to do it, get in front of an audience and face the fear. Well, there was a quote that I uh, this this week. Uh, Fear is the only thing that gets smaller as you run toward it, or something like that. I don't know if that was who that quote was. That's really good. That might be Tiamo or Simon or somebody Fear said that. Fear is the only thing that gets smaller as you run toward it. Yeah. Yeah, that, well, that makes sense. It's sort of like problems in general, isn't it? Yeah. You know, how you blow, or, 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 or have you ever done this one? You're thinking about, you got to talk to somebody about something, and you know it's not going to be pleasant, and you start to think it through, and you think it through too much, you start to obsess on it, and oh my God. You're going to just you get to the point where it snowballs in your head as yeah. you think about what's going to happen with this unpleasant situation with this person. And, oh, my God, I'm just going to walk in there and punch him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then you go there and you, and you, and you, you talk to them and, you're like, and they're like, no, I totally agree with you. Uh, I'm really sorry that happened. We, you know, we, yeah, let's it's, work it out here. You know I respect you. I, all it's that a, so my, for no in my family, we communicate very well because there's no... No, there, there are no like introverts, or I guess well, actually there are, you know. But we all just go at it. Mm -hmm. So like I was, well, when I saw you last, when I was down in uh, when I came to St. Louis. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so my oldest brother is a musician, and now a, a now retired uh, psychology professor, and uh, we played together literally 
uh, like four times in our life. Once, ten, uh, nine years ago, uh, and then three times when I saw you last. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had me come down and play guitar with a group he was in. And I stayed at his house. And we, uh, we were talking about something or other. He's a very smart guy. He's a PhD. Uh, he's an industrial organizational psychologist. Uh, we have him on the podcast at some point. So this story may even come up as some sort of example. He has an example for everything. He's got so much knowledge about statistics, statistically speaking, this, this and that kind of stuff. So we're diving into this, you know, discussion and dialogue, and it becomes a debate, and then we're yelling at each other, you know, like this, and uh, yeah. you know, but you know, I love you, I love you too, all right, cool. <sighs> and then he was like, that's why our family doesn't have cancer problems. <laughs> He's let it all out. Well, yeah, because we were like, that's, the, the, yeah. you know, Thanksgiving, you, there'd be like, you know, the whole family can get this, six siblings, mm-hmm. you know? And it'd be like that. There was just no holding back. You just let it loose, and now we know it's, everything's clear and open. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we know how we feel. We feel better now. Hug and move on. Exactly. You know? Cool. I got two more things on the stage fright. If you do a little pearls of wisdom, if you don't mind. Oh, of course. So, so one is uh, so we all yeah. So the butterflies, the nerves before a, per- a performance, early on in someone's uh, stage life or whatever, or whatever it is, the thing that they're fearing, um, that can be, you can be perceived as and labeled as like debilitating, you know. Oh my God, I'm so nervous, I can't, I'm not gonna be able to talk, I'm not gonna be able to function. But after you do it a while, like I still get nerves, I still get excited, but I, I turn, but I, I label it as, as exci- excitement. It's like it's creating an energy, and sometimes when my adrenaline's going like that, it allows me to totally focus on the task at, at hand. So I actually like having a little excitement before a, 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 a show. When I'm doing something where I don't have that, it's kind of like, oh man, I'm kind of miss it. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, and so that, so yeah, so so relabel that thing. Oh, I'm excited, not I'm nervous. There's, um, and so the and then the other thing is, I this especially with public speaking in particular, um, is when you're nervous and like self-conscious. What do I do with my hands? Your focus is more on the messenger. And less on the message when you're when you're self-conscious or nervous, um, and again through just getting out there and doing it, and then if you if you and it's hard to do it first, but over time you focus more on the message than the messenger, it becomes easier, and then suddenly you're just into your topic, and you don't even know what you're doing with your hands or how you're standing. Right. You know, <laughs> how you're standing. It just, uh, just reminds me of the. Uh, yeah. Joe Piscopo skit on Saturday Night Live, to, or was it Al Franken talking about uh, public speaking? If you don't know what to do, your hands put your hands in your pockets. Oh yeah, and and he's still flopping around his <laughs> elbows and everything. Yeah. Um, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah that's the, the, and and yet, yet again, Bob, some stuff that I'll be taking on as additional breakdowns of the stage fright thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I'm dealing with you know coaching, mm-hmm. so thank you. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's, sure. you know, all the people that listen to this who have that problem will thank you as well. Yeah. And just in case somebody noted that I said the four reasons people create, well, I got the, I'm sure there's some, well, there's going to be at least one listener going, he said four, what's the fourth one? It's so, <laughs> so just, so, just to, so to, to satisfy them, oh, yeah. and we, we don't have to go into it deep, but, but the first reason is for self-satisfaction, second right. reason is for 
recognition from others. Yep. Third is for the benefit of others and knowing how your art and, and, you know, improves people's lives, how it, how it makes them feel. And the fourth one is, is for money. And so that's, uh, so that's where you monetize, you can, mo you can choose to if you want to monetize. And there's all sorts of baggage that comes with, you know, good and bad that comes with uh, adding money, especially into a, an art form. Um, although I think it's quite healthy to be, be compensated for your, the value that you I, delivered. I, 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 you know, I, uh, considering that we live in a market-driven economy and I, I don't have the power to change that, mm -hmm. I think I need money to eat and pay bills and <laughs> too, yeah. gas up the car and pay for the car and things and, uh, and to produce albums and uh, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and for those who are listening who agree with me and want to advertise, you can contact me through any kind of messaging service and right. an ad on the podcast. Right. Uh, just to throw that in there. <laughs> but um, I've done a lot of work to actually get over my hang-ups about money. Yeah, it's funny how people do have that. Yeah, and why would I have hang-ups with money? I grew up with lots of it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see it making people evil or bad. I didn't see it making people happy. It was sort of there. Um, so I don't know, but um, I uh, to to follow on those those four reasons and the bag you mentioned that there can be a lot of baggage attached to the, the money aspect of it. There is a, a three uh, pronged uh, triangle uh, idea that was shared with me by Dana Kay, who's a publicist uh, for authors in Chicago and I think other and entertainers to a degree who I met at the last conference I went to in the fall for authors she did a seminar there and she she didn't come up with it she credits somebody with it and I can't remember who um, but it's the, there's a triangle to decide whether you take the gig oh really okay okay so uh, if it's two out of three of these things then you take the gig so one is for the money mm-hmm one is uh, it enhances your brand, yeah. or in old school terms, it gives you exposure, right? Okay. Uh, and three is it's fun. Okay. So if you get two out of three of those, you're good to go. So if it enhances your brand, brand and it's fun, go do it. Uh, if it makes money and enhances your brand, doesn't have to be fun. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, you know. So, but if it, but if it's just one of those things, it, it, and I don't, I don't take gigs for money anymore at all. I only, uh, I only take gigs that have the fun and enhancing what I do, the work overall that I do, yeah. and the money's a, a good add, additive. But I've put myself in the position to be able to do that, mm -hmm. you know, and it, because my the overall arc of everything that I try to do is that I want it to create value, yeah, you know, uh, not monetary value, like value in life. And I get the feeling there's a huge aspect of that in what you do. Again, also coming to know you better the more we talk and that kind of thing, the more that I pick up. Bob's about creating value in life. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I mean, I like the idea of making, but being able to support myself, and it does take a certain number of dollars every month to come in to pay the bills. But I like, I love the idea of being able to do that while serving as many people as possible. So the, like, like so what I, I encourage others to do, and what I try to do myself is when you get up every morning, instead of me saying, oh, how can I bring in X amount of dollars today or sell so many books or whatever, it's like, how can I, how can I reach more people today with this message? How can I inspire more people? Um, 
Because for a long time, yeah, and still to, to this day, my, my sort of mission, and it helps like when you kind of identify your overriding mission. Um, and for many years, mine has been to, to educate, inspire, and empower musicians, writers, visual artists, actors, and, other, and many other creative people to like help them, for one, give themselves permission to create and to share their art. And if they want to monetize, because you don't have to monetize your art. You don't have, I think there's a lot of people here like, to come up a lot at this conference that there's this thing like, if I'm not doing it professionally, I should just give up the guitar. You know, it's, it's like we said earlier, I, I yeah, you, you don't have to give it up. You can, if that feeds your soul, even if you have a day job and a family or you're taking care of elder parents or whatever, uh, there's nothing wrong will fit your creativity and however it serves you and you don't have to be reaching some whatever some some traditional method of or, 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 or definition of success to be worthy or to still include that in your life you know um, however if you if you think maybe I can make some extra money with this or maybe I can make a living or supplement my income um, it's all possible and doable uh, just, it all depends on where you want it to fit in. Um, but yeah, I encourage people to, yeah. The, the, the worthy part, that, that's, first of all, that's really outstanding, uh, an outstanding share, I will call it, because you said this is what I do in my morning. Yeah. Uh, and by sharing it, it becomes advice, it becomes a tip. Yeah. And I think that's outstand, an outstanding way to start one's day. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, I had to learn ways to start the day that didn't include leaping out of bed later than I intended to, <laughs> yeah. shaving, with, you know, without shaving cream coming out of the shower, and leaping into my clothes and bolting out the door late again for something I didn't want to do. Yeah, uh, like, know, like a day job or, or something. something. Yeah. yeah, and I had those. I, I, I've been an entrepreneur most of my life in one form or another, even when I held day jobs, trying to yeah. generate additional money to make music a full-time thing. But even just from the standpoint of, of music, you yeah. know, to go teach or maybe all these kind of things, it took a while for me to start to allow myself enough time in the money to take care of myself. Yeah, yeah. And that's been coming up a lot too at this conference. I've been hearing a lot of that myself. Anyway. Self care. Yeah, yeah. self care. Yeah, and, I mean, you know. no doubt. If you, uh, well, it all depends on where you are in your life. Like when I was in my twenties, I was I played music full time for three years, three or four years, I guess, in my twenties. And you know, I was single. I had my expenses were super low. Um, by the time I was in the late '90s, I guess, and I was pursuing the book thing, I was well. I was married, and then soon divorced. I had a, my daughter was I was a toddler, so I was in a different place in my life. So I couldn't just. I had to, to make. So I had a day job. I had to do what I had to do to make ends meet. And even when I quit that day job. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, then I bought a house and had a mortgage, so I definitely look at my, I definitely think of ways, okay, what do I need to do, what can I offer to people? So, yeah, so here's my thing, so I, I have a variety, I've always thought that giving away, freely giving away little chunks of advice and inspiration, that's been my, my, my mode of operating, of operating since the 90s. Uh, um, and uh, so, so people can get free access to I think I, I estimated probably 80% of any, any, every all content I've ever created has been freely given away in small chunks. Blog posts, articles, podcasts, YouTube videos, personal conversations that I have, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then some of it I create things that are for sale or the coaching like you do. They can get one-on-one -on -one access. 
with the piece. So there's like this product funnel, if you will. Yeah. You know, there's free stuff, uh, freely available. So if you don't have a budget, that, that you still have access to the, the majority of the body of my work in those forms. Um, but, it, but if you want a book, or if you want an online course, so you want to attend a workshop, you know, uh, or you want some my personal time, then there's there's cost to that, and I have to strategically think about how to offer these things so that enough, you know, revenue comes in, so I continue to stay self-employed, you know. Yeah. But I, I notice, and that's another thing, yet another uh, thing that that I kind of found uh, affirming in in. Uh, Discovering you back when I when I did uh, was the, the I, I've always been inclined to give stuff away and I'd get I, I'd get people all over to, you shouldn't be giving giving things away oh, yeah. like, you know, I'd run this a lot you know and and it's funny because every time I went against what my gut told me about some something that I'm doing uh-huh. it made me miserable yeah. and it turned out I was right in the first place mm-hmm. and. You know, I I'd say I wish I'd followed that, but that was my path, and now I have proof because I can, you know, so I can point other people who are maybe struggling with the same things. Right. You know, because the the number of, of mistakes and poor decisions and failures way outweigh the number of successes, as because that that's it's by necessity. It's the only way you find the right path. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and and grow to become the kind of person that can also work at that at a higher frequency to help people. You know, so, um, but the uh, the the uh, what I see you doing though is not a, not so much a funnel. You just have a wealth of content. But yes, if people want, you know, hey, I want more detail about this. Well, then now you you need to come work with me personally. Yeah. Or you need to well, well you know, that's in that book, right. that kind of stuff. Exactly. And you know, uh, I, I and and now the the, the norm again is, is like. Just keep producing content. Mm-hmm. Keep producing stuff for people to have access to. Mm-hmm. And what happens then? Also, what you know, we're doing the kind of stuff that we're doing, uh, uh, you more so than I. Though it can lead to, uh, you know, hey, can you come speak at this thing? Or hey, can you come? You've been mentoring. You did some mentoring this weekend. Yeah. So if you've been on a panel of one of these, um, you know, so so we we are, we are given opportunities to get paid because we're giving first yeah and we're opening ourselves to a frequency of not chasing when you're chasing money you chase anything it's going to run away that's the energy you're putting out right. there and so the same you know that was a, t- a tough lesson on my part for instance was go, stop stop when i stopped chasing it and kept focused on what i really what i'm really doing and why yeah uh, I've, I've worried a lot less, and it's worked much better. I mean, scarcity can be a great motivator. I mean, there were, there were times when, like, oh my God, I'm not sure how I'm going to pay rent. I got to do something, and, I, and it caused me to take action, which often oh, yeah. did help pay the bills. But it's not the place you want to be operating from. You ha- you have to do that sometimes, but yeah. it's much more comfortable to get on friendly terms with uh, figuring out how to have a have a have a consistent stream of income. So that you're not that you that so you're not doing it from a, a, a yeah a desperation because it's not a, a fun place to uh, to uh, be. Uh, God, there's something else I was going to say about that and escaped me now. Um, but this is because we've had so many brilliant conversations, <laughs> so many <laughs> topics that were 
going from. There was something else related to that. Maybe it'll come back to me in a second here. Yeah. Well, uh, with with that, um, and and we can keep talking. We, you know, we're coming toward an hour here, but yeah, yeah, we'll wrap it up. Here but we can. Uh, take this break and maybe this will bring it back to you but also if there is something somebody heard and they want to know more or in order that maybe if you don't remember what you're going to yeah. say they can <laughs> yeah. find it in yeah. some of your material where yeah. do people find bob baker okay yeah so uh i guess the main portal to all the stuff that i do is i do a lot of different things so it's just my name with a hyphen between the first and last name so bob hyphen baker b-a-k-e-r dot com will take you so to this one page and then then you if you scroll down you'll see a link specifically to my music marketing site you see one to the music that I've created um, one to the improv that I do in st. Louis and so I also do you know some visual art too uh, and so, uh, so that's very good visual art. Oh, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I have fun. Uh, that's probably the least uh, as far as the to Oh, I just remember what I was gonna I was what I was going to say good if you want me to come if you want me to come back we can come back to the contact stuff yeah yeah so um so but yeah, yeah i just i do some like celebrity portraits in a part pop art style it's probably low in the total pool of where i spend my time and in and income it's something that's another art form that i like doing uh, but that's probably the best way uh and quite often in social media i started using mr buzz factor mr buzz factor is my uh like handle on like twitter and LinkedIn in different places, but uh, but probably Bob-Baker.com be the most direct place. So you want me to go back to the yes. so, so starting back in the days like, uh, that I published my local music newspaper that we talked about earlier. I was I interviewed a ton of people. I continued to interview people off and on over the years through my podcast. And so I've literally interviewed hundreds of people, uh, and you see certain patterns about success. Uh, I heard those patterns echoed here at this conference. Um, but one way, again, depending on where art fits into your life, but if you want to, so there's two words that I like to, that, that, that are two phrases that have the word make in them, and you can choose to do more with your art to make money, certainly, but also to make a difference, or to make, so again, if maybe your day job satisfies all your monetary needs, then you do your art simply for self-satisfaction, but it's a, you could also be motivated to make a difference with it, whether you make money or 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 not, or you do both. You make money and make 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 a, make a difference. But if you want to do more with your art in either one of those or both of those categories, uh, a consistent thing is to be prolific in your output, and so create a lot and share a lot. Uh, I know that I heard a couple of different things here. Like Simon Tam said, he has the record for the most. TED Talks, like he's done like, yeah. I mean, it includes TEDx too, but right. uh, he's done like seven TED Talks at different different cities, and he said he, he was saying how he would submit to like 300 yep. <laughs> different cities, and he got t turned down by most of them, but one of them said yes, and then once he did that one, he went back to the others and go, oh, I just did the TED Talk here, and he resubmitted and ended up getting like seven different TED Talks, which is how I think I, I originally came across him. Uh, somebody else was talking about their obsession. Oh, the guy, one of the, uh, some independent artist, I think Jackie Vernon, I think is her name. She said that she used Reverb Nation and like submitted to multi, I mean, many, many different uh, music submission things. And then she got this gig that this high profile tour, which she was found herself opening for like these superstars or whatever. Um, so it's by taking action in multiple ways, 
you interact with the world and you're just bound to, just the sheer numbers, you're gonna find an opportunity in those, you know. Um, so again, don't overwhelm yourself, you know, take care of your family and your health and all that, but as much as you can, be prolific in your output and reaching out. I did this, this um, I did this uh, program last year called Get Your Ask Out There. Ah, it was nice, a 30-day th yes. challenge uh, where each week it was a different like category, but you would just ask, ask venues, ask your fans for help, ask the press, you know, ask for the sale. Uh, and so, but you, so that more opportunities will come the more you ask, and the more you just put yourself out there. And that, that's, that's a huge thing that I run into with a lot of people uh, in, in the arts mm -hmm. is they're uh, uncomfortable with the, the networking factor or the, the asking because they're afraid of rejection and uh, on my label there's only two guys and a third on his way uh, right now because it's all in its infancy um, so I coach them through as needed you know but I deal with the rejection for them. I, do, I submit the artists, or my assistant does, and I, any rejection emails come in, I don't, I don't forward them. Yeah. Funny thing is, the rejection emails are always very polite. Yeah. Great stuff, but I can't use it for my show. Or, yeah. you know, in some cases, I keep keep doing it, you know, good stuff or whatever. Mm. Uh, and, and, and really, 70% of the rejections happen by they just don't respond. Mm. So it's like you don't even really know one way or the other. And in many cases, because you can check analytics with this, they didn't even open the email, so they don't even, you don't even know if they like it or not, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. And when I was talking to this one guy, on a, uh, I was on a podcast, um, and he, I, I mentioned that artists are not good with, reje with rejection, he said, actually, I think artists are very good with rejection. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a very interesting point, because then he explained it, because they deal with it all the time. Yeah. So it, maybe it's, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other. They don't want to deal with more of it. Right. Or those that continue to put themselves forward learn to become better at dealing with it. Me personally, it doesn't really bother me. If somebody wants to say something scathing about me, I'm not fond of that. But that like, almost never happens mm -hmm. uh, as far as critique, unsolicited critiques. But all we do is communicate with people uh -huh. so when I came come looking for you here to come come down we're, we're this conference everybody's on like two floors and the hotel's full of like you know musicians and people and music industry people and all this so and all these tables you can go around and talk to people and that sort of stuff so you're encouraged to be talking to people I go, I, I come looking for, for, for you, and you're talking to somebody. I'm like, well, I'm going to get some water. I come back, you're talking to somebody else. And then we come down here and we do this, right? <laughs> and that's, and all it is is what? We're just communicating. We're just going around talking yeah, to people. Yeah, yeah. That's all we really, that's all you really do to, to create something as an artist is continue your communication outside your, your instrument or, or, or media. Yeah, yeah. You continue to communicate with other human beings face-to-face -face about the stuff you're doing. Yeah. I used to watch my dad, who's by the name, his name was Bob. Oh, um, good name, good guy. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and and, and a shout out to Darren Jellison, my good friend, fellow songwriter. I'm going to say it. Bob's a very popular name in my family. Oh, cool. I have brother Bob, I have a nephew Bob, I have my 
my biological and adaptive father's both Bob. Yeah. So uh, anyway, Darren likes to make me make fun of me for that. So I just have to let him give him a shout out so he can, he can come at me again. Um, so uh, my I, my my dad would sit there and uh, he was a, a finance a financial planner and he'd be talking to clients and. I'd, I'd watch him uh, a lot of go visit him in his office and stuff. All he was doing was talking to people. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, the conversation is, they're, they're talking about what they need to invest in. Mm-hmm. He just sat there like we're doing and just would like, you know, uh, that's probably where I got the name thing from because he'd be like, oh, Baker, that's an English name or something. You know, he'd like mm-hmm. have, he studied names as a hobby. Oh, cool. So he would, he would know, like, if somebody's name was, you know, uh, Slavic or, or Russian, mm-hmm. you know, or, or that's a French name or whatever. And he'd use that to create conversation. Or, or they were from some place uh, outside of Chicago originally, and he'd ta- have some story attached to that place. Probably where I got that, these exact same things that I do. But all he did was create, he would just talk to people, just communicate to people and get to know them and then find out how he could be of service to them. Cool. And as a result, was extremely successful and respected and loved by his clients. And right. probably, and at one point, the top salesman in, for one company that he represented, you know, like in the nation, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I ne- but I never saw him look like a salesman. He just right. communicated. That's all we're doing to get the gigs, is communicating. And the way you just place it is a really great way to, to look at it, especially with the access we have now to be going and just continue to create because that's what you want to be doing continue to create uh, share it with as many people as you can remember we're being of service to people and it, it will you know then ask <laughs> get your ask out there get your ask out, out there, there man. yeah yeah words of great words of wisdom to head the stretch about over that's yep. right so Bob hyphenbaker.com right? <laughs> that's right so com will get you everywhere and Mr. Buzz Factor is, is that your at handle? Uh, for many of the social media accounts yeah I think I'm on Twitter and Instagram and, and others yeah. I just punched in Bob Baker at Bob Baker on Instagram to tag you before I found you today for this and uh, you, you, you popped up Oh really? So, oh. Yeah. So it, it's it was the a, correct. It was, it was my account. Okay. Yeah, it was okay. you, Buzz Factor. Okay. Okay. Cool. Buzz good. Factor, yeah. Good. Good. So, deal. so uh, the the, the uh, you know the the uh, coders have got that all sorted out for Yay. us. You know? And then as for me, uh, equally easy. Phil Circle. Uh, if you Google me, it'll be me and Phil Oaks Circle of Friends. And that's pretty much all that pops up at the, the, for pages and pages. But uh, anybody you want to get in touch with me, you can, uh, depending on the platform this is, uh, this po- you listen to this podcast on, uh, you, you should be able to message me directly through the podcast. Otherwise, philcirclemusic.com. You can contact me there. At philcircle on all the social media, except Instagram is at philcirclemusic. I do respond to all my messages. Um, in my experience, so does Bob Baker. So please feel free to reach out, join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, spread the word. Open dialogue is the key. Peace.